This is a podcast from Real Life Sango in Clarksville, Tennessee. Thank you for being a part of our online community. We would love for you to join us at 8.30 or 10 a.m. on Sunday morning at the City Forum. In the meantime, if you would like to share a prayer request, make a financial contribution, or take a step at Real Life, you can text MISSION to 97000. Now enjoy the podcast. Well, as you can tell, I'm not Pastor Tim. Uh, He has... uh, some sickness, so he decided to stay home, play it safe, and not bring it, uh, bring it to church, but I'm sure he's watching online. And of course, you know, Pastor Freddie is taking some time off, getting some rest, getting some recharging done. Uh, so we're, we're grateful that those men are wise enough to take that time to take care of themselves so they can take care of us. Uh, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Acts 19. Uh, today we're going to be looking at uh, a story that, I, personally, I find it kind of funny. Uh, I don't think the first service thought it was that funny, but we'll see. Um, But show of hands real quick, how many of you have watched the movie Anger Management with Adam Sandler? Good. Way more people this service. All right. For those of you who haven't watched it, there's a a character that Adam Adam Sandler plays. His name is Dave. And Dave gets sentenced by a judge to go to anger management. And so the the doctor that's running this anger management course is... uh, played by Jack Nicholson, and he comes to the meeting and he says, Dave, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? Simple question, who are you? So Dave starts to say, you know, I'm an easygoing guy, I like to play tennis and I like to do this, and, and the doctor stops him and said, that's great, those are your hobbies and that's great, but we want to know who, who are you? And then he says, okay. He says, well, I'm a I'm a pretty laid-back guy, I can be indecisive at times, but blah, 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 and then the doctor stops him again, so that's, that's great, that's your personality you're describing, we just want to know who you are, who are you? And so he turns to the guy next to him, and he says, well, what did you answer, what did you tell him? And then the doctor says, you want him to tell you who you are. And finally, he gets so frustrated, he's like, I don't know what you want me to say. How many of us have contemplated that very question? Who am I? A lot of times we operate under a, an identity that is not assigned by God, but assigned by this world. And what I mean by that is, uh, there are many of us that identify by our job, our occupation, what we do for a living. Some of us identify by our school, either the school that we root for or school that we went to, the, the mascot. Some identify by their relationship status. I'm a husband, I'm a father or a brother or sister, mother, wife, whatever it may be. Some choose to identify through, through other worldly terms, such as a political party or political stance, or even go as far as to try to assign your identity based on a, a, a gender or, or some other worldly device. But all these identities mean nothing. The only true identity that matters is the one that comes from our creator, Jesus Christ. In him and through him, all things were created. We are created in the image and likeness of God Almighty. So our true identity lies with him because he's our creator. He's the one that gets to assign that to us. We've, we've spoken before about how if, a, if an artist paints a painting, they're the ones that title the painting. They give the painting its meaning, no one else. Or if a poet writes a poem, 
they get to decide the meaning of that poem in the name of that poem. No one else gets to decide that. The creator has the authority over what he created to assign its identity. The same goes for us. Our identity, our true identity comes from one source, Jesus Christ. So if you would, look with me in your Bibles. We're going to start in verse 11. We'll go through verse 20. It says, God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out. But also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempted to name over those who had the evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Seven sons of one Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus and I know about Paul, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them. So they fled out of the house naked and wounded. This became known to all, both Jews and Greeks who lived in Ephesus. And fear fell upon them all and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. Many also of those who had believed kept coming, confessing and disclosing their practices. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this time. Uh, we thank you for uh, your word. Lord, we pray that your word nourish us this morning. Send your Holy Spirit to open our hearts and our minds that we may receive your true identity, that we may know who we are in Christ. We ask all this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So we open up here. It starts with discussing about Paul's mission trip. Now, Paul was probably one of the most well-known missionaries in the Bible. And he did a lot of different missions, and he had more missions planned before he passed. But this one, he's in Ephesus, and he's spent about two to three years here. And it talks about uh, the works that God is doing through Paul. It's very important we acknowledge that Paul was not doing these miracles. It was not Paul's power, Paul's understanding, Paul's knowledge that was enabling these things. It was God's power through Paul. Paul was simply a vessel. He was simply there with a heart full of yes, just wanting to do whatever God wanted him to do. And look at some of the weird things that were happening. It says handkerchiefs. And aprons, pieces of cloth that touched his skin, were gone to people who were diseased and they were healed. I mean, uh, that's pretty radical in my mind. A, a, a piece of cloth touches Paul's skin and then goes to someone who's diseased and evil spirits left. It reminds me of the, the story in Mark 5 with the woman who was hemorrhaging. And she, she said, if I can just touch the hem of Jesus' robe... I know I'll be healed. I know that that'll be enough. And so she goes through that story. She crawls through this crowd of people grasping for the hem of Jesus' robe, the part that was often in the dirt. And she grabs it, and she's healed. Now, I'll tell you, there was nothing magic about the hem of Jesus' garment. It was her faith in knowing how God can move and how God would move. And you, if you recall the story, Jesus stops, and he's in this crowd of people, and he says, who touched me? And his disciples are kind of like, what are you talking about? You're in a crowd full of hundreds of people. What do you mean, who touched you? He knew 
that his power was doing something. Someone had enough faith that God's power moved through that garment into that person and healed them. This is the same faith these people are operating off of. They believe that God can heal me through a handkerchief or an apron. And there are still parts in this world today, they still operate off of this, off this faith. Because it says here that God did it, so God can do it again. That's how they operate. That's how they believe. That's the level of faith that they have. And so all this is happening through Paul. And Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 2, he says, It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So Paul didn't always go by the name of, of Paul. He used to be called something else. He was called Saul. It sounds very sim uh, similar, but completely different person. He was a Roman citizen. He was educated in the synagogues. But he persecuted Christians. He killed people that followed Jesus. And he thought he was doing the right thing because the world told him he was. So he had the right citizenship and the right credentials to do this. And then all of a sudden, he meets Jesus. He has an interaction with Jesus, and his world gets flipped upside down. And Saul died. And Paul was born out of that. And Paul sought nothing more than to be obedient to Christ until his death. As a matter of fact, one of the famous quotes from Paul is, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Meaning, if I'm living then I'm doing the will of God. If I'm dead, then I'm with God. But either way, I win. Saul was never going to make it to heaven. But I guarantee you, Paul's there. There was a change in his identity. He quit being who the world told him he should be, and he became who God created him to be. And once he became that creation that God meant for him to be, that identity, God could use him. And God was using him. This is the first step we all take in missions, surrendering who we were and becoming who God created us to be, forgetting the labels that this world wants to put on us and only caring about one identity and that which comes from Jesus Christ. So Paul's doing these works, God's doing these works through Paul, excuse me, and it, and it talks about in verse 13, it says, but also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempted to name over those who had evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus. So it used to be there were, there were groups of Jewish priests, and this is how they made a living. They would go from town to town, casting out evil spirits. And what they would do is, it was a type of sorcery or magic. They would write down these sayings, or these spells or incantations that sounded fancy, and may have probably worked on like the surface through some manipulation, and they, would, and they would keep them in this book, and they would gather these books and hand them down generations after generations. And that's how they made their living. They were impersonating that which Paul was doing. And so and then it, it talks about the phrase they would use that says, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Now, I'm not going to lie. I had to look up that word adjure. And I'm still not 100% sure what it means, but I think it means to like strongly ask. Jesus never asked. Satan to do anything. Jesus told Satan, and Satan moved because Satan didn't have a choice. We have that same authority in Christ. When we become a born-again Christian, and Jesus Christ lives within us, we have that same authority to tell Satan, get out of the way, and he has to. Not because of who we are, 
but because of who Christ is. And Paul knew that this was the only authority he could operate under that would work. And these other people did not. So it goes on to name seven sons of one Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this very thing. So you have this chief priest who had a, a high stature in the Jewish community. So he would have been pretty well known, and so would have his family. So his seven sons were going around, and they were saying these sayings over people and trying to exercise these demons. And then they come across an individual, and they have an interaction with an evil spirit. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus, and I know Paul. But who are you? Now, I found this hilarious because I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm born again, so I know who I am in Christ. Therefore, I know the authority that has been given me. But from the standpoint of a non-believer who thinks they know what they're doing, and then the Spirit turns and starts talking to them and, and, and dismisses them as like, yeah, I know Jesus, I know Paul. They have authority. Who are you? I imagine their eyes got real big, and it says that this, this one person that was possessed subdued all seven of these guys, seven men. That's pretty incredible, one against seven, and they and subdued them all, somehow got them all naked. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? It's funny. Beat them up, and then they run, I imagine they were probably crying and screaming, out of town. Now, like I said, I kind of find that a little funny, because like, why you stripped them naked? I don't know, but... It happened. Um, but they were trying to impersonate and, and claim an authority they didn't have over a power that they did not understand. That is the danger that exists with every person that calls himself a Christian. It's not enough to just have the, the title. It must be our true identity. It must be who we are. And I'm not saying that you have to hop on a a plane or a boat and go overseas to do these things, there are people in our backyard, people in this community who have never heard the name Jesus. It may be surprising to hear that, but there are people who do not know who Jesus is. But we have been placed here to interact with people so that we can show them who Jesus is. You can talk about Jesus all day, just like these guys did. I adjure you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. But unless you know Jesus, unless he is your Savior, it's kind of hard for you to show them who Jesus is. That's why it's so important that we live out this life and not just try to fake it or mimic it. It's very, very crucial. It goes on to say, after they were ran out naked and wounded, said this became known to all both Jews and Greeks, who lived in Ephesus. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. So this event takes place. These seven men get stripped naked, beaten, run out of town, and all of a sudden, in everybody's mind, it just got real. This is a real thing with real power, and the only way to overcome it is in the name of Jesus, is in the identity of Jesus Christ. So it says fear fell over him, and it was not a, a fear of being afraid of, of anything in particular, but it was the righteous fear of God that put them in a place where they had to submit. And so that's where we start 
learning who we are in Christ and start accepting that identity when we let go of what this world told us we ought to be. And it goes on. Many also of those who had believed kept coming, confessing and disclosing their practices. So these are people who already believed, but now they feel compelled to come forward and confess who they were, what they were doing, disclose it. What they were operating with in the darkness, they brought into the light and said, I am not this anymore. That's the next step. We acknowledge our false identity and the true identity we want to be, and then we, we bring that into light and say, I'm not this anymore. Used to be, that's done. I'm a new person now, new creation in Christ. And this gives us a pattern that we're supposed to follow. And then it says in verse 19, And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the pieces of the price of them and found them 50,000 pieces of silver. So I told you before that they would keep books and they would write down these incantations or these spells and they would collect them. And then they would hand them down as they had apprentices or families that carried on the, the family tradition, I guess. So these things would have been massive collections collected over generations that took a long time to develop. And they were bringing these out in public and burning them, getting rid of them. This is what we are called to do with who we used to be, who the world says we ought to be. We bring it to the light and we destroy it. We get rid of it. We don't pick it up ever again. It's gone. It's done. All that matters now is Jesus. There is an attack right now on, on our future, on the next generation coming up. And the world is doing its best to try to assign them an identity at a very young age and get them to buy in on that. And we have a duty and responsibility to come together as a community over the kids of this church and the, and the kids of this community and help them understand, regardless of what this world tells you, Jesus loves you, Jesus created you, and Jesus has a plan for you. Those things are crucial. Because there's a lot of time that Satan will come up and lie to them saying, you know, you, you were a mistake. You were not meant to be made. The Bible tells us before you're in the womb, I knew you and had plans for you. That's a whole other sermon. I don't want to get on a tangent, but there's, there's more there. But there is not a single life that has breathed a breath on this planet that God didn't know about and intend to be there. And that alone is enough for a foundation to get people starting to think about who they are truly supposed to be. And then the last verse says, So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. So news was spreading of this event, of what had happened, both of what Paul was doing, what God was doing through Paul, with the handkerchiefs and that magnificent miracles, and then people who were trying to fake it, what was happening to them. And what the result was is the word of the Lord spread and its power became active. It was prevailing. The enemy was losing ground, losing territory because people were starting to confess and believe in Christ and accept their true identity, who they were created to be. When we start doing that, the truth of God's word starts to scream a little louder than the lies that Satan is trying to tell us. And this is where we, we must be in our first steps 
as missionaries. And whether you want to acknowledge it or not, everyone in this room and everyone listening online, you are called to a mission. There is not a single Christian that was called to be born again and then sit on the sideline. You are called to be in the game. It don't have to be over in London. It don't have to be in Mexico or India or anywhere else. It can be right here. It could be in the people you interact with every day. And I'm thankful we're in a church that promotes that. Sam talks about this in Next Steps. Find three, three people, just three people. Show Jesus to them. Whether, you, whether they're Christian or not, because we don't know. But we are not called to be Christian, be, be Jesus to just the non-believers. We're called to be Jesus to the world, right? We're not supposed to pick and choose. We're supposed to live out an identity all the time. It's not something we fake. It's not something we mimic. It's genuine. It's real. And so there's time this morning I want us to spend in asking that question. Who am I? Have you ever asked yourself that? Just by yourself, who am I? And that often leads to the next question, well, who am I supposed to be? Who am I meant to be? Who am I called to be? Those are serious questions. They're very simple, but they're very serious. So right now, I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes. And I want us to ask that very question. Lord, who am I? Holy Spirit, who, who am I? Who am I meant to be? I'm tired of the identities that this world is trying to give me because they lead to nothing but more heartache, more division. I want to be known as a son and daughter of the Lord Most High. And if you're listening today, maybe you've bought into the lie that everyone else has it put together and you're the only one that's messed up. Everyone else figured it out, got their life going, and you're the only one that can't see. If you were the only one that couldn't get it right, Jesus still would have died on the cross for you. Even if you were the only one who needed it, he still would have done it. But the good news is he did. And there's nothing in here that says you have to get your act cleaned up and you have to get everything fixed in your life before you come to Christ. There's nothing that says that. As a matter of fact, it's quite the opposite. Jesus wants a relationship with you. He wants to show you who he is and who he created you to be. And this is what matters to him most is a connection with you because once that connection is made then you can start understanding who you were truly meant to be there's a casting crown song that asks that very question who am I it says I am a flower quickly fading here today and gone tomorrow a wave tossed in the ocean a vapor in the wind still you hear me when I'm calling you catch me when I'm falling and you told me who I am.
I am yours. I am yours. Church, we have a, an incredible opportunity here today. For the first time since COVID hit in March of 2020, we get to send a team from here at Real Life out into the mission field. Isn't that incredible? Is that exciting? I'm excited. I'm excited about it. I want to invite that team up, Nicole and Alex, Lydia, Polly, Tyler, if you'll come up. As they come up, um, if they are a part of your community group, would you come join us up here? If you're an elder or a staff member, or if you lead a community group, would you join us up here and lay hands on them? If you're in their community group, if you're an elder or a staff member, or you lead a community group, would you mind joining us up here? If you don't know, everything, 10% of everything that's given here faithfully to real life, faithfully to God, goes straight back out into missions. And uh, part of that is we are uh, a church plant, and church planting is going to be a part of our heart forever here at Real Life. So we have partnered with uh, Redeemer's Church in uh, Queen's Park in London, and they are doing some incredible work there. Just in the last couple of weeks, just in the last couple of weeks, two members of the Muslim faith stepped into their church and converted to Christianity because of what God is doing there. It's incredible. There's some incredible work going on there, and we have some incredible folks here that are headed out to London on Friday uh, to do that work. We're so excited about it. So, church, if you'll join me by just stretching your hands out to them, we're going to pray for them as we commission them to send them out on Friday. Heavenly Father, we know that sometimes you don't call those that are prepared, you don't call those that are qualified, but you qualify those that are called, Lord. And you have called these five folks to go and do your work in London. And we are so excited as a church to send them out to do that, Lord. As we send them out, Lord, we pray that you are on their hearts every single day. That you, every day they wake up, get closer to you so they can go out and bring other people closer to you, Lord. We are so excited for them. We pray for their safety as they leave here. We pray for their safety as they get there and their safety as they come back. We pray for our brothers and sisters that are in London doing your work right now then I know they are so excited to have some folks from here in America come and help them do that, Lord. We're so excited, but we pray for them as they continue that work. Lord, place these people in the best place where they can bring more glory to you and more people to your glory, Lord. We pray for their safety. We pray for the moments when the enemy tries to get on them because they're out doing your work, Lord. We pray that you push that away. You give them the strength and the peace to continue every day to do that work. We, as a church, send them out, Lord, and we, we pray for them every day, and we can't wait to see your work done this week. It's in your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Church, so glad you're here. Let's stand up and let's worship some more. Thank you for listening. We trust that God is stirring something special in your heart today. We hope to see you on Sunday very soon. Keep it real, keep it Jesus.